Well, hi, everybody. Such a wonderful thing to see you here. We've had such a fun weekend. Some of you, I don't know if any of you were there. Anyone here at the sunrise? We, a couple of you. Uh, 6.30 in the morning. How many of you didn't know that exists? We had, they told me we had between 750 and 800 people out in the North Lawn at 6.30 in the morning. It was crazy, crazy. So that was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. We saw the sun come up and we saw the moon at the same time. So yeah, that was great. And uh, again, to everyone in the South Auditorium, God bless you. And those of you online, thank you so much for, for being here. You know, we, we call this our living room. And I just wanna say, we want you to feel at home here. Just relax. This is where we talk about life, issues. Uh, Timberline is such a multi-generational church from babies to people that have aged a little bit over the years. And we just love being together. And so today, we want you to just sit back and enjoy it. Next week, you heard from Christina. We're really gonna talk about this idea of your best life now. Can you have that? The life you wish you had? Or is that just like a, a Christianese? Like, you know, just trying to be happy. Next week, we're gonna really look at, at a passage in Mark chapter four that addresses this issue of what does God want us to have while we live right now in the current life that we have? Even with cancer, even with hardship, even with challenges, can God help us do that? So I hope you'll come next week, and I have the privilege of speaking here at this campus again next week. And I, I love Easter. It is just, I grew up in church. Uh, I literally, uh, the church I grew up in had a Sunday morning service, Sunday school, Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. So half of my life I've been in church. And then, and then becoming a pastor, you just, you know, you're there, you're there all the time. And we used to do this thing called the Passion Play. Do you guys remember that? How many of you have ever seen a Passion Play somewhere? Okay, it's all the components of, of Easter. And I just, I just love Easter. Matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed, we have a new sign. Did you guys see the new sign when you pulled in? There's a sign out there, same place the old sign was, but it's now more of a digital sign that says Happy Easter and welcome in our times. We're pretty excited about the sign because now we can put those cute little phrases up. <laughs> Just kidding. We will not be doing that. However, I did see one. It was in the middle of summer in Arizona. It was like 120 degrees outside. And it said, you think it's hot here. I just love that. But I, I love the whole idea of, of Passion Play. Our, our kids grew up playing Passion Play in our basement. You know, it was, it was living in them. And matter of fact, I, I still recall our daughter Erica, um, when she was probably four or five years old, we were doing the Passion Play over in the other building over on LeMay. And, you know, it was every night, like for 10 days or whatever it was. And... Uh, Bonnie's parents, Malcolm and Beverly, came to visit from Grand Junction. And so they got a seat right in the middle of the auditorium, came early, and it was about time to start, and the lights went down, and the music started. Erica 
climbed up on Grandpa's lap and kind of grabbed his face with her hands and looked right at him and said, Grandpa, there's going to be blood. <laughs> oh, the things we remember, you know. And there is uh, going to be blood. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But one of my favorite stories was when actually in the, in the Passion Play, one of the years, you know, you have these scenes. And by the way, there's three scenes that you're going to see in every Passion Play. You're going to see the scene of Gethsemane, the cross, and the resurrection. And they're all very important. We're going to talk about all three of them uh, briefly today. But it was the scene of the cross. And there was the two thieves, one on each side of Jesus. Jesus is in the middle. And one of the thieves, he, he's a passionate guy who, who, who really got into the role. And he was the bad thief. They're all bad. But this one, you know, one of them said, we, we're getting what we deserve. And the other one and the scene is, he says, he's on the cross, and he says, if you're the Christ, you can get us off of this cross. And when he said it, the peg that was holding his arm in the cross came out. <laughs> and he falls down on the ground, and he lands on his feet. And is silent for a moment. He looks at Jesus and goes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, now get back up on the cross. Okay. Oh. All of these things, all the excitement of Easter, the stories are just magnificent. But truly, there is no greater story. Amen? There is no greater story. And it's why we need to, in, in the laughter, there's a serious side of this that says, wow, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me to be in this place in my life where I, I actually need to consider the claims of Christ and the claims of this book called the Bible? So I've, I've broken it down into three things I want you to know about Easter. Number one, if you're following along, is simple. Because Jesus is risen, we do not need to live in Gethsemane with loneliness. Gethsemane to me is a picture of what it's like to be alone. Every passion play has it. The writers even talk about sweating drops of blood from Jesus, which is like the stress, the, the tension, uh, all of the things that are happening in Jesus. And as I read through this, I want you to think about why this matters, and why is this included in the Easter story? We don't often think of it as part of the deal, but I think there's a reason why. It says that the disciples went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. How many of you have been there? I know we take trips to Israel, and many of you, have, you kind of come over that hill, and the olive trees are there, and, and you look across on the next hill, and it's Jerusalem, and you see it, and all of this happened right there in this olive grove. And, and Jesus said, you know, sit here to, to most of his disciples because I'm going to go and pray. But then he, he took Peter, James, and John with him. He's like, hey, you guys, come with me. And, he, and it says, look at, this, look at this text. He became deeply troubled and distressed. Okay, this is the Son of God we're talking about here. He told the three 
My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. We don't see this kind of talk from Jesus till now. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he, and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father. It's the intimate term. We, we would say dad, but a baby learning would say dada. A, a child in this culture would say Baba. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. In other words, is there a chance? Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yes, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and he found the disciples, unfortunately, asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? He's desperate. I mean, I want you to see the desperation we have here. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to the temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now this part of the story, I'm gonna say a big thing here. Just stay with me for a moment. I think it's possibly the most gut-wrenching part of the whole Easter story for Jesus. I know, obviously, the physical pain of crucifixion is unbearable, but the Garden of Gethsemane is the emotional pain that can sometimes feel worse than the physical pain. And that's what I want you to grasp. I want you to see that this is emotion. This is rejection. This is alone. This is nobody cares about me. I am lonely. You know, being alone is one of the toughest things on earth. Why? I believe because God made us to be together. He said to Adam after creating him, it's not very good for you to be alone. You need a helpmate. You need someone. And Eve came along. And Relationships are the most important thing you have in your life. And Jesus feels completely alone. How many of you realize you can be in a crowd and still feel alone? And maybe some of you do today. I want to encourage you with, that's why this is included in the story. Because Jesus wanted you to know he understands. Bonnie and I got caught up in a survival show that was on TV a while back called Alone. Anybody see it? And they would take these 10 people, put them on an island, and a few items, a knife, and a, you know, whatever. They would have to build their shelter, kill their food, survive, and the person who survived the longest would win the game and win some money. But I was, we were always amazed that there would always be one or two people on the show that had a great shelter, maybe the best of everybody. They had food in the shelter, they had warmth, they had wood stacked up, they had, but they chose to go home because they didn't like to be alone. And they would just say things like, I just, what am I doing out here? I just, I hate this. I'm just, I can't make it another hour. I'm so lonely. You know, it's one thing if you choose that, but it's another to live in a life with millions of people in a world with millions of people and still feel alone. Jesus wants you to know he gets you. He understands what it's like. I want you to see three things he did, and we'll move to the next one. But there's three things that can help you if you feel that way today. Number one is he asks for help. Here's Jesus, the son of God. Think of this. 
we don't think of him as needy, but he literally says to his disciples, come with me. And then he takes his three closest, Peter, James, and John, and he says, guys, I, I need you. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, hold my hand in this, not, not in a sissified way, but in a, in a manly way to say, hold me in this. I can't do this alone. I'm desperate here. Pray for me. Stay with me. That's a, that's a lonely man. Why? Because he's about to experience the cup of sin. He's about to acknowledge emotionally that Northrop's sin is going to be upon him. That your, put your name in there, your sin is going to be upon him. He hasn't known that feeling before. Is there another way? He even says to his father. You, look, everything's possible with you. Is there, an, is there another way? There's not. Because the weight of your sin is great. And it is a burden. That's why we must be so thankful. But he asked for help. The second thing he did was he prayed to God that God would give him another way out. I'm going to say this. God doesn't mind when you ask why. Some of you who have lost loved ones, some of you who have faced death, some of you who you walk into your house right now and your partner is gone but their clothes are still hanging in the closet. That's hard. Jesus is with you and you can ask him why. I have a list. <laughs> I have a list as a pastor. Why did those teenagers die in that car accident? Why did that baby die? What's, what's up with that, God? How could that be? I don't get it. And I know a little bit at 14 when my dad died of cancer and left five kids and a mom who'd never worked outside the home. I, I just remember, and I remember hearing people say things to me like, well, God wanted your dad more than, than, than you need him here. I'm like, you're crazy, then I hate God. That sucks, right? That's the feeling. Don't say things like that to people. Loss is loss, it's horrible. I don't know why. We're in a fallen world, bad things happen. Sin creates death, we know that, and I hate that. But God doesn't mind when you ask him why. Jesus asked God if there was another way. God's on your side. The third thing quickly is he submitted his will to God's will. There are times when I just have to say, you know what, I don't get it, God. We're gonna figure this out someday when I'm up there, but right now I'm just gonna trust you. And some of you are right there, right now, you're right there. Will you trust? Will you just step into that trust that's what Jesus modeled for us in Gethsemane. That's why it's in the story. That's why it matters. The second part of this, well, let me just read one last verse. In Matthew 28, 20, I think this is why Jesus said this. He's leaving. He's, he's died. He's risen from the dead, and he's leaving the earth. And he says, teach these new disciples. Who are they? That's us. Everyone who's come after the disciples. Teach all these new believers to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't you forget it. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
You may feel alone, but you're not. Jesus is with you. Second thing, because Jesus is risen, we do not need to live on the cross with hopelessness. Gethsemane represents loneliness because he was alone, but the cross, I'm telling you, this, this guy here, we were able to secure the actual cross on Amazon that Jesus died on. <laughs> this one right here. <laughs> we, we have the paperwork to prove it if you want to see it. But. The cross was death. You know, in my work, you, you get to study these things. If you want to just go on a deep dive of Roman crucifixion, whoo, it's hopelessness. You are going to die. Uh, there's nothing that's going to keep you. And, and I, want to, I, want, I want to read that moment in the life of Jesus because he died. In Mark 15, in verse 33, it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until about three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Again, this is that lonely desperation. Some of the bystanders misunderstood, and they thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah, and these were people who were mean and uh, obnoxious, and one of them ran, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes and takes him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. If you don't know what that is, that represented the gap between God and man. Man could not access God without that sacrifice. But the minute Jesus died, that need was met and that was shattered. And now we have connection with God Almighty. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Easter story, verse 39. When the Roman officer who stood facing Jesus saw how he died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. This is the chief executioner. How many deaths do you think he's, he's seen? Probably hundreds. His life is on the line. If the guy on the cross doesn't die, they kill him. He knows he's dead. But he had never seen a death like this death because Jesus laid down his life willingly that we might have life. The cross was a brutal part of the story. It really is. And all the, of all the ways you could die, I've been asking this question. I don't know that I've asked this before in such detail. Why did God choose for Jesus to die by way of the cross? Can you answer that in your brain? Why? There are many other ways he could have died. But just think about that for a moment. Why the cross? This was like what crim how criminals died. This was, this was out of the ordinary for someone like Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher. A couple things I would say, because it's super public. God wanted the world to see it and know it. It's undeniable. This happened. Non-Bible texts 
talk about this death. It's so public, and it's so for sure. I mean, there's no way around it. These Roman soldiers knew what they were doing, and they invoked death, and it was real. So no one could deny that Jesus died. Yes, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was humiliated, he was naked, he was spit on, he was mocked. He was brought to the, the lowest form of degradation. I don't know why, but that was the path. So we could all see the penalty of sin is massive. Don't mess around with sin, I'm telling you. It'll, it'll win. It'll get you. The penalty is massive. That's why Jesus faced everything that he faced so that we don't have to face the penalty of our sin. Aren't you happy? Aren't you thankful? I'm so thankful that I don't have to live with hopelessness. Some of you right now, I'm just gonna be as, as transparent as I can. You're living in this place. You're living in a place around the cross and you're, you're feeling that hopelessness and, 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 and I hear words coming out of people's lives like, I have no future, you don't understand. I, I, I just, I can't get help. You don't know what it's like. I feel like giving up, it's too late now. I've already crossed that line. I'll, I'll never be happy again. They make negative experiences even bigger than they really are. They ignore positive feelings that bring good experience. They imagine the worst case scenario. Their mind starts going down a, a channel that leads to darkness and they can't climb out. And then being alone makes it worse. And then they can't find someone who really will try to help them. And then before you know it, they're just buried and they're on the cross and they're dying and they're hopeless. They blame themselves for how they feel and somehow they can't accept the challenge to rise up and be what God wants them to be. I just wanna say this and we'll move on. You do not have to be hopeless in your life. God died so that you could have a plan and so that you could have meaning in your life. I want you to reach out and receive that today by faith because it's true. It's not a myth. It's true. Last thing. Because he is risen, we do not need to live in the tomb. All three of these elements, Gethsemane, the cross, and the tomb, are part of this passion play. They're part of this great story. But the tomb is the ultimate when it comes to being futureless. There's no coming back from that. Um, graveyards are creepy. Do you agree? I used to ride my 10-speed Schwinn bicycle in middle school home from school, and I had to go through a graveyard. And man, I remember in the fall, when the sun would start setting earlier, and the leaves would be falling off the trees, and I'd be going through there, and the leaves would be blowing around. I'm like, there's somebody chasing me. You know, you just, you're pedaling, you're in 10th gear. You know, it's like, somebody's at too many movies, right? But I did have a real experience where I was, I was in Bible school. When we went to Springfield, Missouri uh, to go to Bible school, I, I made a friend in, in class who uh, said, he didn't live in the dorm. I said, what dorm do you live in? He said, I don't live in a dorm. I said, where do you live? He said, I live, I live in a mortuary. I said, really, where do you live? He said, no, I live in a, in a mortuary. Huh? He said, I, I live there for free. I said, do the owners know that you live there? <laughs> uh, he said, come and see my place. I said, no. 
No, he said, come, you got to see it. And here was the deal. He said, I get free rent, and all I have to do for the free rent is go pick up the bodies when they die, wherever they are, hospitals, murder scenes, whatever. Once they're done, I go, I go and get them and bring them back. And I, I went, oh. He said, come to my place. So we go over there. His front door to go into the mortuary was a side door that went into the casket room. So there's like 30 caskets. And I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, as a pastor now, I've been around death a lot. But back then, I, I really hadn't. And, and it was just a weird scene, seeing all these caskets. And it just feels so final in there. And he said, you want to see the embalming room? Embalming room? He said, yeah, come through here. He flips this curtain back, and we walk in. And I'm not making this up. There were three dead bodies laying on steel slab, just one, two, three, right in front of me. And I'm like, those are bodies. He goes, oh, yeah, they're dead. <laughs> I know. That's the problem. They're, they're dead. I, let's get out of here. He lived upstairs. I couldn't have done that. It was just so creepy. Because it's so final. It's like it's, like, it's just gone. You, you're, you're dead now. Your life is over. And Jesus wants to model something for us to tell us, oh, no, it isn't. You have a future once you've been born. You never die. Do you know that? Oh, I know on this earth we live in this shell, and it, how many of you have noticed it decays? You, know, you, can, you can try to fix it up, you know, and, and do, 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 do everything you can, but it's going downhill. I'm just telling you. But you're going to live forever. Eternity is real. And that's why the tomb is so creepy because in these days, when someone ends up in the tomb, it's over. Their life is gone. They'll never see him again. And some people had this hope, but Jesus is, he's bringing hope that they didn't know before, like life after death and all of that. It's just, it's complex. And so in Mark 16, it says Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salam went out and they purchased some burial spices so they could anoint the, the body of Jesus, which was common practice in the day, very early on Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate Easter. Matter of fact, that's, that's when it changed from Passover, which is Friday night to Saturday evening. We started celebrating on Sunday because of the morning of the resurrection. People started gathering to celebrate next week, next week, next month, and now church is like Sunday morning. This is where all that happened. Just at sunrise, they went to the, what? Tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. Now that's your first clue to run. <laughs> they knew. They, I, just, I just see these ladies in my mind. I have a way too good of an imagination. I just see them like creeping up like the stone is gone. Did you move it? You go. You go. You know, they're, they're like typical girls holding hands. Let's all go to the bathroom first, right? <laughs> they're trying to poke their head in the tomb. When they entered the tomb, which good for them. I don't know if I would have. They saw a young man clothed in 
a white robe sitting on the right side. Okay, that's creepy. And then the women were just shocked. And the angel said, don't be alarmed. That's hilarious. They're in this tomb, and he says, don't be alarmed. I mean, I would have been creeped out just to see him. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including, is Peter special? Why? Why this? How did Peter leave it at the fireplace? He denied him three times. You guys, this is a picture. You got to get it. Don't miss this part. This is Easter. God just, I just, I just see Jesus who, who's, who's doing this battle and God in heaven saying to this angel, you're going to go down there and get in that tomb and you got to give these ladies a message. And by the way, sorry, this gets me emotional. Hey, tell Peter. Because he's living with shame. I love him too. <laughs> Tell the disciples, but man, give Peter this word. I'm, I did this for him too. Because he went out sobbing because he had, he had really denied that he knew the Lord. Even those of you in this room in the south and online, wherever you're watching from, whatever your denial looks like, whatever you have done to cross a line with God, however you have lived your life, God is calling your name. Don't forget that. That's Easter right there. That's Easter. Go and tell those disciples and tell Peter. I'll be waiting for them, just like I told you before. No one could imagine this could ever happen. I'll say one last thing, and we'll wrap this up. Um, we've had a couple thousand years now to examine the claims of the resurrection, haven't we? Books have been written about this, and now... We can use logic and analytics and kind of really look at, you know, the people who say they stole the body of Jesus. Well, they don't know Roman crucifixion. <sighs> they killed him, and they, when they sealed that tomb with Roman guards, their, their lives were on the line. They're not going to take a bribe to let someone take the body of Jesus because the next day they're going to be killed. I'm not going into a whole proof texting thing, but I'm telling you, Go ahead and study it on your own. Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. And you've got to deal with that. I've got to deal with that. And he did it because he loves you. The tomb was empty. And this became so important for one simple reason in three packages. Because of Gethsemane, you are not alone. Because of the cross, you are not without hope. And because of the tomb, you have a future. Don't let anyone tell you different than that because on this day, Jesus paid for your future. There's one requirement from you, and that is to believe. Some people can't make that step. But my prayer is that you will work really hard today 
if you haven't done that, to take that step. Lord, I believe. That's where it all starts. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to change every, all your patterns. You don't have to stop anything. Why? Because you can't stop that addiction. You can't quit doing those things without him. You've already proven that. So now what you do is you just go ahead and come to him and say, this is me. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he says, I paid for you. And I created you for great purpose in this life. If you feel alone today, step into him. If you feel hopeless, step into God today. If you feel like your future's been ripped away, step to God today. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I, I stand with my brothers and sisters. I stand with the people in this room, the South and online. I'm, I'm in there with them. Lord, I know I've been alone. I've been so needy. I needed forgiveness. I've been desperate for your touch in my life. I have felt just a little bit of that hopelessness at times, and it's so real, and it traps us, and it holds us underwater, and we can't quite get a breath. But you came. <laughs> that we might believe on you and have eternal life and the promise of a future on this earth and on the life after. If you need Jesus today, just start now by saying, I believe. That's, that's really it. You're not signing up for a bunch of lists of things you have to do. I, I just want you to start right now where you are to say, I believe. My life's a mess, but I believe. And I'm starting there, Lord, with you. I believe, and I need your help for the rest. I'm stepping across the line. Now you got to do the work in me because I know I can't do it. I'm gonna trust you with my life. I'm gonna believe you died for my sins. Let's start the journey. Lord, we give this to you in your mighty name. And everybody said amen. <laughs> amen. Love you guys. Proud of you. Thankful for you. If you've taken that step today, we really do wanna help you. We're a church that we won't leave you hanging. And I just want to say, I hope to meet some of you out at the Welcome Center today, and I hope that some of you who are maybe new or you're not sure about the whole church thing, and there's an old phrase that says, no one comes to church to get involved, <laughs> but no one stays until they do. So next Sunday, Bonnie and I, I'd love to meet you in Summit class. Step in. Let's make some new friends and let's start this thing the right way. Man, makes you want to sing that song again. I love this song we're about to sing. Stand if you're able. Let's declare it before we go out of here today.
you all so much for joining us this morning. Pastor Derry, thanks for a wonderful message. And if this morning you took a next step in faith toward God in your faith journey, we want to come alongside you and pray for you. Our prayer team will be right up here at the front. They would love nothing more than to pray for you. And as always, thank you so much for your generosity and giving. When you give, you're impacting the lives of thousands of people around the world, including those who've been recently impacted by the terrible tornadoes that have taken place back east. Our ministry partner, Convoy of Hope, they have boots on the ground there, and we get to be a part of the work they're doing, ministering to people. So you can give online, you can use the app, or you can drop your offering in the container in the back of the room. Uh, Stop by the Welcome Center, say hi to Pastor Derry. He'd love to shake your hand, and be sure to grab one of these flyers on your way out. There is a musical gift from us to you. God bless everyone. Happy Easter. Go in peace.